Hey, before we get started, we wanted to ask you, our listeners, for your feedback for our upcoming Season 3 retrospective episode. We're asking for submissions, and you can write in or record a short audio blurb telling us about your favorite moment in the third season of Northern Exposure. We'll give you a shout-out or play a recording on air when we discuss Season 3 as a whole. Send your submissions to the email address northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening to the show and writing in. And now, back to your regular broadcast. that early detection of inner ear effusion of the Alaskan child will make Dr. Joel Fleischman the hit of the 6th Annual Pacific Northwest Pediatric Conference. Don't worry. Worried? Worried. Excited. I'm excited. The next three days, I'm going to be surrounded by colleagues, physicians like myself, many of whom, if demographics hold, will be under 35, female and single. Be like shooting ducks in a barrel, bees to honey, moths to a flame. Welcome to the Northern Overexposure Podcast. This is the podcast where we overanalyze the 1990s CBS TV series, Northern Exposure. My name is Lee. I've seen the show a number of times, but I'm also joined by my co-host, Charles. This is your first time watching every episode. Yeah, I've never seen Northern Exposure before, so I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. And you're like the, I guess like the Star Wars analogy would be like, you're the master and I'm the Padawan. Is that, is that appropriate? Yeah. Like I'm the Yoda, you're the Luke or something? Yes. Are we talking about like prequels or? Luke's the best one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, best. yeah, let's go with prequels. Let's go with the original, the, the first oh, so, one. So you'd rather be Anakin? Oh, shoot, no. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I, I, I want to be the fir- fourth one, yes. The well, original. It's the, f- it's the first one for like. Our time, our timeline, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like fourth for the nerds, first for everyone else. Okay, that's so confusing. Um, well, We have a special guest on the podcast today. Uh, Actually returning to co-host with us is our good friend Jay. Jay, are you there? Hey, I'm here. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, last time we talked to Jay was in season two for the episode Spring Break. Today we've got the episode, it's number 21 in the third season. It's called It Happened in Juneau. That's a reference to something, isn't it? Like, it happened in blank? I think it's a reference to It Happened One Night, which is like that classic uh, sort of like screwball comedy. Oh, okay. Got it. That makes more sense. Yeah, the movie was directed by Frank Capra. Let's see. It came out in 1934. And what's actually interesting, a little bit of trivia about It Happened One Night is it's one of only three films to win all five of the big major Academy Awards. That's Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Actress, and uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, wow. Was that Frank Capra's first film? It's an early film for Capra, but actually it turns out he made a movie in 1933. So that was the year before, it's called Lady for a Day, but I've never seen that. Mm, okay, sounds outdated. But, but still, I guess, you know, <laughs> it's true. But uh, no, yeah, so pretty early on in his career, you know, he was uh, doing very well as a filmmaker, I guess. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, sorry, we got Jay back on the podcast. I figured it would be good to bring him back for this episode because, uh, spoiler alert, Charles, you haven't watched it yet, even though we've started recording the podcast. Our plan for today 
is we're all three going to watch it together. You know, we're in quarantine, so we're not actually in the same room, but we're going to time ourselves as best as we can to hit play and start watching it together. And um, I think I may have spoiled it for you, Charles, but this episode does involve some more Joel Maggie romance. And uh, if you recall in spring break, the last episode that Jay was on, that was a very Joel Maggie centric episode. Oh yeah. That episode was highly charged with some uh, energy between those two, which yeah. <laughs> uh, culminated in a, in a kiss between them. Yeah. It was like a kiss, very sexually charged, very passionate. But they both agreed to, uh, you know, they, they both agreed to go their separate ways and have their own romances, even though Joel didn't have anybody, but Maggie had Rick at the time. R.I.P. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, unfortunately, yeah. What happened? That was like in the middle of the second season. And by the end of the second season, it's kind of all but um, forgotten. You know, like Maggie does move on to Rick, uh, who unfortunately dies by satellite, I guess. How would you? Yeah, yeah. Death by satellite. (laughs) So, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, that ends for Rick. But also, we don't really get too much more. I guess there is, um, what's the episode where Maggie and Joel are stranded in like the forest preserve, like the mountain, uh, you know, that was the plane crash episode. That was a few episodes earlier in this season. Yeah. It's in the third season. I think it's called, Oh, it's called Oi wilderness, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, the third episode. So there's a little bit of that. I mean, surely throughout the entire season, we're, we're closing in on the end of the third season, but there is, you know, always a little bit of that romance kind of in the background, but now we've got it in the forefront in this episode. Uh, I guess I should probably start talking because we got we to gotta get Charles to see this episode. So the way it's going to work, Charles and Jay, uh, we're going to watch the episode all together. And whenever we see something that we want to talk about, we're going to pause it. And then we're going to come back to this podcast and start talking about it. However, uh, in the interest of kind of keeping things short, we each get three pauses. So if you see something you want to start talking about, we'll say pause. We'll come back to the podcast. And uh, yeah, I guess nine segments it'll be. Did you guys just hear that thunder? I, d- I, I did. I but did. It was so incredibly loud. <laughs> my, it, my it mic caused even the lights it to flicker. It but, caused the lights to flicker. That's probably better than the clap. It, it caused the lights to flicker in the house. <laughs> so if I do lose power and you stop hearing me all of a sudden, I apologize. <laughs> No, 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 that's no problem. My mic actually picked it up like hard. That's funny. That's going to be in the background. Yeah, for context, <laughs> we're all in our homes. We're still in a coronavirus quarantine, stay-at-home order issue. Jay lives in a It's, it's raining where yeah. I live a few hours away from uh, from Lee and Charles, and it's raining where I am at the time of recording. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, I am in the same town, uh, same hometown as oh, you, Oh, I didn't Jay. know you are here. Okay. Charles, yeah, yeah, welcome yeah. home. So we shared the same thunder right there. Wait, okay. are you are you hearing the same stuff, Charles? Uh, where you are? It's your part of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. So he that thunder was he the same thunder. <laughs> cool. We'll have yeah, to. We'll see if miles, it syncs up. Less than a mile. <laughs> it probably um, does. Hopefully. Okay. Without further ado, let's let's start watching this episode, guys. Ready? Okay. So I've got it pulled up, and I'm ready to hit play. What about you guys? Yes. Let's all sing together and see if it syncs. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, it's actually pretty close yeah. for me and Charles. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still a few seconds behind. Mine paused for <laughs> uh, the briefest of moments. I actually haven't seen this in a while because I always skip it. Skip that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same one. I've seen like 40-something episodes at this point. 
Okay, I'm going to do the first pause. This is, uh, I think we're about like six minutes and 45 seconds in. So what we just saw was Maggie and Joel. You know, Joel is going to some sort of conference in Juneau. Like he's going to give a give a presentation. And uh, the reason I pause is because he's waiting for a pilot named Red. Do you guys remember Red from earlier in the series? Yeah, I think he was in the first season. He's the one that... Um was originally going to fly Elaine, which was Joel's fiance in the first season, yeah. up from Juno or Anchorage or somewhere. Oh, yeah. that's uh, who he is. But okay. he gets sick or something, and Maggie has to pick her up instead. Exactly. And so that episode and was... I don't know if he's been mentioned in between. I don't think he has. The, uh, the, so that episode was in the first season. It was the fifth episode, The Russian Flu. Actually, the same writer as this episode. And you know what's funny? Uh, I'm just looking at it online. This episode, is. it says it's written by David Asael. Uh, but if we're watching the episode, the title's on screen. It also said Rabinowitz. Yeah, there's a Rabinowitz. There's a second writer too. So that's not credited on Wikipedia. Um, oh, but according to Moose Chick, Robert Rabinowitz was also credited with writing this episode. So do you think that, um, do you think that because it's the same writer he used one of his characters? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at is like, he, he hasn't forgotten about this, uh, this idea that has been employed before because, uh, as we see in the scene where we just paused, Maggie is taking Red's shift. Apparently Red, Red in this episode has a hot date and uh, Maggie mm-hmm. wants to see the roadshow of Les Mis in Juno. So they agreed to swap. And uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. I just wanted to bring up that uh, tie because I, I remember watching this uh, episode and, and just being like, wait, I Red, that's the same character. Yeah, it, that's an interesting parallel. They They bring back that recurring element of the show that um well it really puts maggie in sort of an antagonistic sort of position with joel in both cases um in the first case since red can't make it um maggie has to get involved in joel's personal life and pick up elaine in this in this episode it's maggie and joel are off together uh kind of forces the two characters together in a a way that um puts pressure on their relationship a little bit close quarters are going to be sitting in the plane you know close together but uh yeah, so it's a little plot device, but Joel does say, he's like, all right, you know, once we get to Juno, once we land, I don't know you, like, I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, I think in an earlier scene, he was talking to Marilyn about how he basically just wants to hook up with other doctors uh, at this convention. I guess that's a mm-hmm. thing, like people hooking up at conventions. I mean, that's something we don't normally think about, but that's like what's happening. Well, apparently that's like a thing that happens in the Olympics, which is kind of similar to oh. a convention. It's just like a sports convention. I have heard that. Yeah. I also like that they're both wearing sunglasses when they're introduced to each other. Like Joel's wearing him while he's waiting at the gas pump and then mm. Maggie comes out and she kind of like saunters toward him. I kind of really <laughs> like how she walks walks yeah. off her plane and goes toward Joel and she's also wearing sunglasses. So already starting off, we can see that they want to remain anonymous, whether that's on purpose or not, that's remaining to be seen. But generally when you wear sunglasses, you're trying to remain inconspicuous. So yeah. maybe a little over analysis right there, but I think it's really neat to see. I think that's a good that's a good thing to pick up on. Also, the the shades that Joel wears uh, gives him sort of like a, sort of a cocky, laid back feel because he's like, I like what he says in the scene. He's like, not even you can spoil this for me. <laughs> like I'm having such a good time. I'm about to go to Juno. I can't wait to leave Sicily. Uh, okay, well before we jump back in, what uh, Charles? What else happened before this point? Yeah, so we had Chris, who was stumbling over his words on uh, the 
radio. And I can actually really, really empathize with them because I do something where I volunteer and I read on air, like a book or a magazine or whatever for the blind. Mm -hmm. And Mm. oftentimes I will also trip up my words if it's like a strange sequence of words and it's all recorded. Like I I can never pause during the recording. So whoever is editing me gets to hear me say like, God and then like just like mess up on my takes and be like, all right, got to wait 10 seconds. Try again, mess up, be like, okay. And then like, it's just like a hilarious <laughs> sequence right there. But yeah, Chris is stumbling over his words. And then it turns out that his long lost brother, Bernard, comes in uh, from Africa, Botswana, Back I believe. Back from Africa, yeah. Yeah, and it turns out though that they're kind of off sync with each other. Usually they're like clockwork, but this time Chris didn't even know that he was coming into town. And Chris seems to be incredibly thirsty and Bernard seems to be hungry. Yeah, it's like normally they're sort of psychic twins, you know, they're brothers, but they have sort of psychic a psychic connection that usually puts them, I think the first episode we meet them, like they're playing bridge or something or some card game and they're just like killing it. And then uh, the last episode where we saw Bernard is similar in a way because uh, Chris was having dreams of Africa but then he realized that it, he was having Bernard's dreams. Like Bernard wasn't dreaming at all. So there is always, usually when, when they're shown together, they have some sort of psychic connection or some sort of imbalance that they have to fix. And I think there's something imbalanced happening maybe. It is cool though that uh, John Corbett, the actor for Chris, like that's probably got to be hard to speak out of sequence like that. Like he's probably, I wonder if he like rehearsed the lines or if it's, uh, I don't know how you would do that. I don't know. I've always been curious about those type of things in movies or television shows. Whenever they say the same lines of dialogues at the same time, if the like the actors preemptively tell each other to say like, all right, whenever I look into your eyes directly, we both say the line right then and there or like some sort of visual cue that adds them up. Or are they just naturally really talented to know like the next beat is where we're going to say it. Like after this pregnant pause, go. Yeah, I I guess I kind of see that as like uh, like music. You know, the three of us have been musicians, and we've played with different groups and band in high school and and beyond. And we know that you know there's a timing to everything. And of course, in music, there's a a beat and a rhythm that you can follow, and it's easy to know exactly when to say your piece. But I would imagine uh, that acting, there's probably a, a, another rhythm to that. And it's, admittedly, it's unfamiliar to me, having not acted not having acted. So they probably rehearsed it enough that they just knew that this was the beat. This was after they took a breath or they did whatever, that this is when they, they come in together and say their lines. As far as um, Chris saying words in the wrong order, well, I mean, I, I do that all the time in my natural speaking. I'll skip over <laughs> words or say words out of order. Uh, matter of fact, I think I just did it with that uh, not having <laughs> phrase. But, you know, it's just... <laughs> I think in this case, though, Chris is, is supposed to be like a, a condition. Something is wrong with him. Um, I, every time I see Bernard, I look forward to to the episode where what happens with Chris and Bernard. I like Bernard. Yeah, Bernard's a great actor, great character. Well, yeah, let's jump back into it. Let's see if Chris can solve this problem. And maybe, maybe Jay, you can take away a lesson and, and figure out how to fix your speech. <laughs> Never. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump back in. Okay, it's another pause for me. I feel like I'm going to run out of my pauses before the end of this episode. We're <laughs> Wait, was this? Uh, yeah, this is your second this pause. This is my, my second pause. We're like 13 minutes, about 13 minutes into the episode. So we just saw the scene with uh, Bernard and Chris and K-Bear. Bernard is 
at the helm. He's sort of making the announcements for Chris because, uh, you know, obviously we said Chris has sort of that, that speaking problem. But the reason why I wanted to stop was this quote from Bernard. Bernard gets to take a, you know, take a seat and start to do some of the, the musing that Chris would normally do. This quote in this scene, uh, this is going to show how much of a Northern Exposure nerd I am because I actually used this quote from the scene in a college paper, like as a preface. <laughs> to, uh, Did a you paper. get flagged for plagiarism? No, no, it was a, it was a direct quote. It was like, um, like oh, I, I okay. quoted the the actually the name of the episode and the show, and uh, it was because it was a paper about um, the Odyssey. So the quote in the episode is, "But as shadows lengthen across the K Bear window, thoughts turn to homecoming, journey's end, because in a sense, it's the coming back, the return, which gives meaning to the going forth." We really don't know where we've been until we've come back to where we were. Only where we were may not be as it was because of who we've become, which, after all, is why we left. So just a very kind of roundabout, verbose way of talking about, you know, those themes in that paper of the Odyssey. You know, it's about Odysseus being far from home and, and returning. So, it's, That's a very, very good quote. Yeah, I really liked it a lot, obviously, and I think I was just really obsessed with the show, so I wanted to showcase it, <laughs> even in my college papers. <laughs> so um, we can easily draw the the parallel to, I mean, Bernard said it, it's it's about what happened to Bernard. He went to Africa for, th for three months to, I guess, learn about himself and become different, and now he's back, and uh, he's learning, He, you know, this is his homecoming to his brother, He's learning what's different with his brother. In this case, Chris seems to be off for some reason, uh, out of sync with how he normally is, and it'll develop from there. But I think we can also maybe draw a parallel with the, the other plot that we've seen so far, which is the Joel Maggie going to Juno. Um, one of the scenes that we watched between last pause and this pause was them checking in at the hotel. Charles brought this up, um, a classic sitcom trope where there's only one room left at the inn and Maggie and Joel are forced to share it. Uh, so they, they begrudgingly accept, but they go through this whole dialogue of, of will they, won't they? Maggie considers it for a minute. Joel is outright refusing and in the end he, he relents it. So they share a room, but they've, they've left and Joel's purpose was to, you know, they both had a purpose for going on the journey. Joel's purpose was to, you know, find a woman to hook up with at this conference. Maggie's purpose was to go see Les Mis and we'll see what happens from there and and see what happens when they return, if they've if they've changed or if Juno's changed, I mean, uh, Sicily has changed or not. I think that the quote kind of parallels both plot lines in this sense, Lee. Yeah, I never thought about connecting it to, to the Joel Maggie plot line, but yeah, for sure. Like, I definitely think, you know, they have their own sort of goal when they set out to Juno, but this, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a dramatic, um, exciting story, you know, if we didn't see them run into some obstacles and kind of see how they deal with that and what happens, what changes in the end. Yeah, that's a really good observation, Jay. Like the natural order of things has now been laying a strewn for both Chris and Bernard and Maggie and Joel right there. But like Lee was saying, like, that's just how good drama happens. Like something needs to come up like a bump in the road for there to introduce new right. ideas or concepts. I also want to say uh, earlier in the episode, Bernard and Chris were in the brick and they were talking with each other and Chris was relaying his problems with Bernard and Bernard suggests that he needs to reset, like reformat like a disk drive. And through my experiences in IT, I think what they need to do <laughs> is that they need to kill Chris 
and then bring it back to what? life. Just oh like shutting off the router and uh, turning it back on, because that's how you fix all router problems. So that unplug the unplug the yeah, computer. So Chris needs to unplug the Chris. <laughs> they got a Frankenstein this situation. I do like uh, Bernard says. Uh, you know how your heart can can be defibrillated. You need like a verbal defibrillation. Again, I think that's a very good description. Uh, I put Chris back on rhythm. Yeah, sorry, I heard Charles in the background. He said, uh, again, got to kill him. But okay. Um, <laughs> Dude, the, the, the metaphors just write themselves at this point, man. I guess they do. Um, something that something I mentioned while we were watching, the uh, the exterior shots of Juno in the hotel. Uh, I went to Juno very briefly for oh, really? less than a day. Yeah, my family took a, an Alaskan cruise. And oh, we yeah. had a stop in Juno, and, and it looks similar. I don't know if this was filmed on location in Juno, but at least it looks similar. You know, there's... Uh, Juno is kind of situated between some mountains, but there's also a waterway in the middle of it. Uh, and forgive me, I don't know the geography better than that, but it's like a small town at the base of some mountains with big forested mountain and snow-capped mountains in the background, uh, just like what we're seeing here. So it kind of invokes the same image if you had been to Juno of, of Juno. You know, it, it does a good job. Whether they were there or not, it does a good job. Yeah, I would... I would- I would wager that they probably could afford sending someone to get some shots like that. They just, just for those exteriors, like I think the inside of the hotel is probably wherever they're going to be shooting their sets, you know, but yeah, I bet, I bet the exteriors, like those shots, either they could pay a crew member to like a cameraman to go shoot that, or they could like buy some footage from, I don't know, some archive, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would bet that that's that's real Juno in the nineties. That's that's plausible, and Juno's not that far away. I mean, I, I guess they. Um, I don't know where they filmed their their where their studio was. Do you know, Lee? If it was in California or or no, no, in it was it was like so. It wasn't in Rosalind, but I think it was pretty close, according to the okay. northern northern over or sorry, the northern exposure book. Um, I think it was like. I want to say probably is like, you know, Seattle is really close. I don't think they shot it in Seattle, though maybe they did. I think it was like pretty near Roslyn. So okay. maybe like an hour or so. I don't know. Well, Juno isn't isn't that far. Uh, you know, yeah. a couple hours by plane, maybe if that um up the up the Pacific coast a little bit. It's in yeah, the just panhandle of Alaska. It's not that far away. So I think send it's a little crew on a plane. to send somebody up there to Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, shall we jump back in? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Does Joel have a scar on the left side of his face? Never noticed that. Mm, it's hard to tell. The left, that left cheek. Hmm. His, oh, he might. His left cheek. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, my first pause. Here we are. We just finished a slideshow. Bernard was giving a presentation on his trip to Africa, and he was showing slides, and Chris kept chiming in, and it just shows more of how Chris is out of sync. He's trying to assist with the presentation and I guess demonstrate his knowledge, but he always, he's always just a little bit wrong. And Bernard keeps correcting him. And eventually Maurice is like, let the man speak, Chris, come on, let, let Bernard give his <laughs> presentation. And, and Chris gives up and uh, feels rejected and he gets up and leaves. He's, uh, you can tell he's really down, but I think that um, this slideshow parallels the slideshow that Dr. Fleischman has to give, except it's sort of the antithesis of their journeys, you know, yeah. Bernard's slideshow, his, Bernard's presentation is about what he did on his journey and the things he saw and learned. Whereas 
Joel's presentation, one of the purposes of his trip is to go give this presentation about what he already knows to the people in the conference. And uh, in that way, it's sort of antithetical. Joel knows something, goes on the journey to present it. Bernard goes on the journey and then comes back and presents that. Yeah. But they're, they're both giving presentations. They're both using slides and you can see the how dated the show is with the really old slides. And yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, it's old to the three of us. We're used to uh, different technology <laughs> just, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was like a common thing for us in school, though. Like, we would definitely yeah, still we, use uh, seen, those slides. We saw some slides, I guess, when we were kids, I guess. Yeah, like on the overhead projectors and things yeah. and whatnot. I had, a, I had a, like an early memory where um, it was like math class. I was like maybe in third grade, so it was just called math. It wasn't called like algebra or anything like that. <laughs> and they were like, hey, Charles, can you go up on the board and go write the answer for this question? I was like, yeah, sure, I got it. And I, I, I went up, and it was being projected onto the uh, screen. And instead of going to the projector and writing the answers, where it would then be projected on the screen, I went to the wall and just started <laughs> writing with like the permanent mark. And they're like, wait, no, 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 come back, come back, child. And like for like the rest of the school year, there was like a small little green uh, marker. On the, it was there for the rest of the forever. school year on the wall. You left your mark. Yeah. The old overhead projector trick illusion. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um, but yeah, so we know that Joel is going to be giving a presentation and his like his means for, you know, what he's going to do is very different than what Bernard is doing in this scene. You know, we're going to see, I guess, what Joel's presentation is like. So, um, stick around for that. But, uh, but what else? We skipped over a couple scenes. Yeah. What yeah, else have we really seen? Key scenes here. So we saw Joel and Maggie being in their one room together and Joel's trying to get ready for the conference. He's putting on his tie, putting on his jacket, and Maggie's getting ready to go see Lady Miz by putting in, uh, in Joel's word, a very lovely dress. But obviously there's a lot of sexual tension going on. Like Joel walks in on Maggie, bent over, trying to find an earring. She adjusts his tie. He zips her up and... The undercut of that, though, they're still antagonistic toward each other. She's like, you know, uh, all right, I won't harp on your style, Joel. If you want to go pick up some bimbos, go do whatever you want. And Joel's like, they're they're like esteemed professionals. They're doctors. And that's just how the scene ends. Basically, it was just written in a way to introduce that, like, will they, won't they again, just to reinforce the idea. Yeah, and that's kind of a dirty trick that the show plays on Janine Turner, like, you know, we were saying Joel walks in on Maggie and she's like, she's, she lost her earring. So she's like bent over and it's just, you know, you can see that Joel's character is kind of checking her out. Yeah. It does get pretty close. You know, she, he's like zipping her up. Uh, he compliments the dress, but there's still that tension, you know, the will they, won't they. And, uh, well, after the scene, I think it's right after that or sometime Joel is at the like meet and greet sign in table. And uh, he's like, you know, he's pretty clear. He doesn't want to talk to any dude uh, doctors, I guess. He just wants to find uh, lady doctors. Uh, But he does get hit on pretty aggressively by Linda Angelo. Was that her name that she introduced herself? Dr. Linda Angelo. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly before that, he was, you know, while he was talking to this this guy who's introducing himself to him, he's looking around the room and he sees all these attractive women. And yeah. the next shot of the attractive women that shows random guys have now started talking to them. He's <laughs> he's missing his opportunity. He wants to get in there and he's like, move aside. Let me get on to why I'm actually here. Little vi- visual storytelling there. Like it's like, no, right. they're getting away. Right. So he's uh, he goes up to, I guess it's the buffet or something. And this woman, Dr. Linda Angelo, comes up to him. 
and starts hitting on him. And she's very straight to the point and forward about why she's there, why she thinks he's there and says, hey, let's just get on with it. Really like creepy, sort of like silky voice. <laughs> like, What's up with her voice? I don't know. Yeah. So, but yeah, so it's interesting because Joel, you know, obviously I guess as anybody would be, if you're being like, if someone is being very forward with you, it's kind of uncomfortable maybe or off-putting. But yeah, it's interesting that Joel himself is proclaiming that he he wants to go there to have sex with strangers. And then it kind of falls in his lap. And what does he do? He's just kind of, he he kind of makes an excuse that he's got to take his insulin or something. Right. He He shies away from it. I think this is the first encounter of Joel's journey where he has to either experience the way he really is or, or change or something. And we're learning about how Joel responds to to this situation. Do you think her being from New York has any bearing on him being so reluctant to be with her? I think it does. I think it does a little bit because he talks about when he's waiting in the field for the for Red to show up, he talks about meeting complete strangers, which in a sense she is a complete stranger, but still she's from New York. That's familiar territory for him. So it's not like they have nothing in common and they don't know anything about each other. They already have this one connection, which in some sense you might think, oh, that's a relief. That's a comfort to find this one stranger you have a connection with. But he expressed at the beginning of the episode, that's not his goal. His goal is to meet a complete stranger and, and she's not it. So I think that definitely leads to one of the reasons that he's reluctant to get on with it hmm. in this situation. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, well, it's just starting to get, you know, it's just brewing, just just starting to come to a boil. Let's, uh, let's jump back in. All right. Okay, I'm going to use my first pause for the episode. And on this scene that we're pausing at, it's going to be Maggie and Joel waking up in the morning with a really uh, great shot, in my opinion. There's a boat going through, and then the camera pans back, and it's revealed to be a window. And it's kind of at the side where you can then see Maggie and Joel from the end of the camera, and then it pans over to them while they're ordering breakfast right there. Uh, Really interesting directorial decision right there. And I noticed that Maggie has a huge breakfast right there. So it's kind of like leading on the audience that she had a a really long night. But it's revealed that she actually didn't do anything with this. um, What is his name? Dr. Paul Brennan? Paul Brennan, yeah. So that was the scene uh, right before this, yeah. She brings in uh, another guy into the, you know, the shared sort of hotel room that uh, I I guess it's like they have two separate bedrooms, but they share a bathroom. Uh, but anyway, that's what it seems like. Yeah. So it's like three 30 in the morning and Joel is just like pitifully watching the, like a shopping channel or something. And yeah, so Maggie is kind of a little drunk and she says there's, you know, it's early if, if you're, if you have a mind for romance or something. And, uh, yeah, so kind of the tables have flipped, you know, Joel is the one who wanted to be hooking up and Maggie just sort of falls into it. Uh, but yes, so bringing us to the scene where you paused on uh, the breakfast. So what's what's going on during that that breakfast scene? Yeah, so it's revealed that they didn't actually sleep with each other. They were just going out dancing. And you would think that there would be like a hint of relief on Joel's face, but he kind of plays it cool, plays it coy. And yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just getting my notes in order right there. But already we can see the the setup for the episode right here. Like we can deduce what the next beats will be. Um, or at least we think we do at least like yeah the audience thinks it does yeah it's like sort of flipped flipped the episode on its head like we're started off it's kind of flipped around 
And um, yeah, I like what Maggie says in this scene because, you know, Joel is, he like you say, he's just trying to play it cool. And he's like, you know, he just wants to make sure she's using protection. And Maggie says something like, you know, you're not going to use a PSA to get this, uh, to get information about my sex life. You know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, if I did it. And he's like, well, did you? And I think she says something like, uh, you know, I never sleep with someone on the first night unless I want to, you know, <laughs> so it's like kind of open-ended, but she does end up telling him, uh, what'd you say? Like, they're like, they just went out dancing. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, you already said it, but I love, I love the opening of the shot. So I'm glad you, you let off with that. It's pretty cool. And breakfast is just, I love breakfast. So, <laughs> um, oh yeah. We it's can, making me hungry. Yeah. She did have like, that was a really interesting order. I'm seeing it fresh. So I don't remember exactly what the order was, but she had something with raspberry syrup. I, I didn't even know syrups came in flavors. Yeah. Like at IHOP, you can get like boysenberry and. You can do like some fun, some fun syrups at IHOP. I didn't know that. Um, okay, well, let's just jump back. Uh, let's jump back into it, right? Okay. All right, so that's going to be my second pause. And I just wanted to use it <laughs> just to bring up this point. Is it legal for Maryland to practice medicine? <laughs> that is a very good point, Charles. And that's not the first time that medical advice has been given by a non-medical person in this episode. <laughs> if you remember at the beginning when Chris is broadcasting that Joel is going to be away in Juno for the weekend, he tells everybody, if I were you, I'd just take an aspirin and wait till Monday. So he's giving unsolicited advice. And now Marilyn, who has been in a doctor's office before, but presumably has no formal degree or, or training in, in medical stuff, uh, <laughs> is giving advice and seeing patients and Maybe not treating people because we hadn't seen her give any prescriptions or whatnot, but she's giving medical advice. So yeah, it's a good point, Charles. We've seen that a lot on the show. Like you know, there's an episode earlier in this season when Eve like takes over Joel's office and does that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like Joel swoops in at the end, like reprimand her. He's like, you know, you can't be doing this. And all yeah, that. Marilyn's got she's got free reign, man. <laughs> she's got like she has numbers of people because they're back to the number system. You know, like next, right? Um. Uh, but this is all I have to say. I think Sicily is sort of like the Wild West in this in this way, where like they can just do whatever they want. They don't really have a police force unless Barbara Szymanski's in town. So right, there's no police officer in town. But Maryland's, Maryland's solutions haven't been like here. Take this pill. Uh, the first guy, she just said, "You're gonna die. Stop smoking." Yeah. And then with uh, with Shelley's problem just now. She was allergic to the ant poison that she used. So Marilyn's solution to that was don't leave food around. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a reasonable point. Yeah, it's not like a it's not like a prescription or but it's kind of a weird gray area. I still feel like there's something wrong, but I mean we're in right. we're in Sicily, so <laughs> it's probably <laughs> We let not something gonna... slide in Sicily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um right, cool. we can jump, jump back scene. in. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is um, Jay. I'm using my second pause. Um, we did uh, skip a day in our recording here, so uh, some of us may sound a little different. Myself, I just woke up from a nap. Um, <laughs> it was a good nap. Uh, but So we paused at the scene just after, uh, I call it the toy cows in Africa scene. Which yes. It's, it's wild. It's off the wall. You're like, where the heck did this come from, this, this weird song? Um, it's it's Chris and Bernard dreaming, uh, and so it, it shows shots of 
animals running around Africa, being animals, doing animal things, uh, interspersed with shots of Chris and Bernard uh, fidgeting in their sleep, uh, restless sleep. And eventually it lands on a giraffe running, except uh, it's only half a giraffe. At first it shows from the neck down the giraffe running, and then it just shows from the neck up the giraffe, presumably the same giraffe, running. Uh, and it's later revealed that that it's the same giraffe that Chris and Bernard are seeing, but they're each seeing only half of it. So this mm. scene, I think, further reinforces the um, the different bond between Chris and Bernard, that they, they shared this dream together, and that something happened to cause Chris to lose something, and Bernard maybe found something that Chris lost in Africa. And so when uh, Chris calls it the, the talisman, um, I, I would pronounce it talisman, but he's talking about the moth that's encased in amber that we saw Ruth Ann try to to buy, or or she was at least interested in it that Bernard brought brought back from Africa. Uh, so Bernard gives that to Chris, and we don't know if all is fixed yet, but at least they they feel that that's satisfied for the scene. So that, that remains to be seen. But I remember the first time I watched this, I laughed and laughed at the toy cows in Africa. Um, so song. weird. It, it's, yeah. It is a strange song. I was doing some uh, research into who sang it, and um, oh shoot, I forget the name of the person. Somebody Chance, Leah. I think Chance, is the name. Chance was the name of the, g- the duo. Group? Okay, it was somebody Leah and somebody else. And I tried to find the song. They don't have a Wikipedia article or anything. I tried to find them on Spotify, and there's a chance that comes up on Spotify with the song "Toy Cows in Africa" on on mm-hmm. the album that I also found online somewhere that it says it's on. But the Chance artist on Spotify is completely different. I think all the other albums are by somebody else. So I think, Mm. uh, I don't know what's going on here. Something interesting I noted, though, is the album says it was published in 1993, whereas I think this episode aired, I don't know, maybe in 92. I I don't remember the original air date. Uh, Maybe it's something that they just put on an album later on in in their lives and, and put it there. But it is the same song. You can go find it on Spotify. You can go find it on YouTube and I mean, I think there's only one song that has toy cows in Africa in it. And I, I don't really understand why they called it that, why they're singing that. I don't really understand what the lyrics are supposed to be about. What? I, but I, I remember laughing what, at it. What's the story there? That is interesting because I didn't, I never, so, okay, I did find that the it's a duo, Ed Willett and Cheryl Lee or Cheryl Lea. Cheryl Lee, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's so strange that it, it does have, I'm looking on Amazon Music, releases 93, this episode definitely came up before then. Why this song and why I would love to know like who maybe, yeah. Did someone like uh, know one of these artists? Did they have a link to the show? Because it they must've had access to the song before it came out. Mm, yeah. I guess if we do a little bit of over analyzing, is that the proper <laughs> past tense word? Yeah, I, I think it is. <laughs> well, if we think about it this way, so it, it's a toy figurine of a real animal. So it's half real and half fake. You could decidedly say, like, that's a cow. You can also say, that's a toy. So both statements are true. Kind of like looking at half of the chimpanzee or half of the giraffe. In some way, it's supposed to parallel that in that, like, it's half of something. Now, why it's a toy in the first place, my guy, I'm I'm guessing it's because, like, that was the only song they could find that was, like, based in Africa. Like it happened to have blank in Africa. So <laughs> Africa that's my only guess title. on it. It is such a weird, um, like, you know, it's hard to discern a meaning from that toy cows in Africa. What could that mean? And then it's just like this dream is so 
it's confusing until we get the follow-up where Bernard, you know, he kind of comes up with his own reasoning for why they're dreaming this. So maybe it has to do with like sort of this bizarre phrase, this bizarre dream. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. But um, no, yeah, I do like Bernard's kind of putting it together. Half a moth, you know, half their spirit, you know, is kind of separated. The other half of the moth represents Chris is still lost somewhere in Africa. But um, yeah, I actually... I wonder what's going to happen because now Bernard gives Chris the talisman and what's going to happen to Bernard? That's a good point. I, I don't, I don't know. But if it was Chris's half that he found in Africa, then uh, there shouldn't be an effect on Bernard unless, mm. unless their theory is wrong. Mm, yeah, that's right. I was going to say that it seems like Bernard only has uh I guess like his life gets turned upside down whenever he visits Sicily. Like if he would just avoid Sicily, like a bunch of this weird stuff wouldn't happen to him in his life. That's true. Yeah. It seems to be like, he seems to, he brought back these slides. He had like a great vacation. He comes to Sicily and it's, but he's, you know, I think he's going to be fine. Well, hopefully. Well, but it, wasn't an, it wasn't a negative thing that happened to Bernard in this right. episode. He's you know, here he, to help he Chris. Went on a journey and he found something and he's bringing it back to help Chris. Chris is the one with the problem this time. Mm, true. Okay. Yeah, true. Um, I think we were talking about this while we were watching the the earlier scene with Ruth Ann and Bernard. So uh, Bernard's like trying to sell these African souvenirs to Ruth Ann. And as you said, Jay, she takes an interest in the moth encased in amber. Yes. And Bernard won't sell it. But uh, we were we were talking about this. Like when did this predate? When did this come out in, in respect to uh, Jurassic Park? Because when I was rewatching this episode, that was the first thing that popped in my mind was yeah. that we have a bug in case in amber uh granted it's not a mosquito where it was in Jurassic Park but how does that work out in terms of timing who came up with uh with that first was it Michael Crichton or was it uh uh Brandon Falsey so this yeah this episode predates the film Jurassic Park the book came out in 1990 so it's possible okay. that they may have, you know, this may have been in popular culture, you know, especially Maybe. seeing that the, the, the novel Jurassic Park was probably a pretty good, uh, pretty good seller, I'm guessing. But no, yeah, definitely this image of a, uh, an insect uh, encased in amber, you know, kind of, kind of feel like Northern Exposure maybe beat them to the punch a little bit there on screen at least. Yeah, well, they didn't use it to the same ends right. as they did in Jurassic <laughs> Park, but uh, they did use it as a, a plot device, a fairly key plot device in the Chris Bernard storyline for this episode. That's actually like really funny that you bring that up. So if we look at both franchises or like both products, yeah, you know, uh, one uses it to build a theme park of dinosaurs, <laughs> and the other one is having. Uh, two long lost brothers and they're experiencing one half of the dreams. So definitely diverged in different paths right there. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I like the image of the, the insect encased in Amber. I love Jurassic park. Love Northern exposure. Uh, yeah, just a <laughs> cool, a cool connection there. Um, mm -hmm. okay. Shall we jump back in? No, I don't think we should carry on just yet. I think we would be remiss to not do some analysis on, the climax of, if you will, the climax of the Joel Maggie plotline. Oh, which was yeah. We seen right before Toy Cows in Africa. Yeah. So, what's going on there? Charles, tell us this is your first time seeing it. So, what, what just happened with Joel and Maggie? Yeah. So, something fairly predictable, but like you would know this. Like any, I think any viewer knows like the general beats of a story, especially this storyline. So, 
Joel was at the conference, and in the conference, his slideshow kind of goes haywire. It looks like that Marilyn kind of slips in, um, probably not maliciously. Like, I don't think she did it on purpose, just to screw with Joel. But she has a bunch of slides that she mixed in of just the citizens of Sicily. So Joel kind of bombs his presentation right there. He's feeling really gloomy. He then goes back to the hotel room. And he meets up with Maggie, who presumes that he met someone already, but he was just opening a bottle of champagne. And he did then, have another another encounter with Linda. That's before true. That. Oh yeah, that he, was pretty awkward. He did. Uh, Linda kind of comes on strong with him, which at this point, because she's going so aggressively, it almost seems like this is some sort of like honeypot operation. Like <laughs> something. Yeah. It's, it's suspicious at this yeah. point. Um, but yeah, it was a very awkward encounter between the two where she kind of connects pieces and she knows what's going on. She's like, oh, okay, he's he might have something for the butch pilot. Yeah, it, it kind of like follows the beats of the story, like I was saying, because then like Maggie's delirious from sleep deprivation and she kind of comes on to Joel. Joel accepts it and then she goes into her room saying like, come find me a little bit later and then boom, she's asleep. Yeah. Did we say, did we mention that they share a little kiss at the door? Because cause it starts as, I think there's like, we should go get dinner. And then Joel goes to mm-hmm, grab his mm-hmm. coat, which is right behind Maggie. You've got the, you've got the typical Joel-Maggie banter where Maggie sets something up. Uh, and this is what I pointed out while we were watching. And I said, remember this moment. Maggie sets something up, proposes something to Joel. Hey, let's go, let's go do this. Or she proposes something that's nice, something that resembles them being in a, a caring relationship, sort of, or at least being friendly. Uh, And then Joel ponders about it for a bit and almost sarcastically responds. And then Maggie just says, forget it. Yeah. Forget it. Forget I asked. That's so typical of their their relationship. Yeah. He's a little too. Let's just move on. He's a little too analytical. Maybe he's not, you know, acting in the moment. I don't know what what to draw from that. But but no, yeah, they do get close. Uh, They kiss. And yeah, like Mm -hmm. Charles said. Maggie goes off. They, you know, they go, I guess, presumably shower because they're both in robes. But Maggie It seems like it takes a long time. Yeah, there is sort of a time jump. And uh, yeah, Maggie's asleep. And uh, yeah, Joel just um, is like, okay, well, Joel just goes to bed. But... Well, Charles, what do you think that this means for their relationship going forward? What hmm. do you think is going to happen? Um... I guess the same thing as spring break where <laughs> they kind of do something intimate where you think they're going to go for, but for the sake of the shows, uh, I, not like chemistry, but like for the structure of it, I guess is the mm-hmm. right word. Like they're going to keep doing will they won't they unless I mean, it could surprise me. Like maybe they actually do end up as a couple at the end of this episode because it is starting to approach the end of season three. So mm-hmm. maybe they could do something really fun toward it so that we can go into season four with, uh, better hijinks than, uh, you know, relationship interpersonal problems. Hmm. Okay. Okay. What, what other analysis can we give on this, this climax? Yeah. I think as we'll see, this episode is going to have some lasting effects. We can hope, hopefully it's more than just what happened in spring break where it sort of fizzled out by the end of the second season. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good expectation, Charles, that hopefully, we can expect something to come out of this episode and maybe trail lead into the fourth season. But, you know, we'll just, I think we still have, we still have a lot more pieces to, to put down first. So in terms of the journey that Joel has taken, what has he learned about himself? He's been approached at least three times by 
this woman, Linda, who's come on very strong to him, and he's made up an excuse every single time that it seems like that's not him. He doesn't just want to go with the flow, live in the moment, accept that this woman wants to sleep with him, do it, and move on, even though that seems to be why he says he's there. Right. Uh, he he doesn't go along with that when it's it's lands it lands right in his lap. And then he does say, and that's something interesting that Charles pointed out a minute ago, was uh, he says that he says there was someone else or something to that effect during the the last Linda encounter. Yeah. And that's something I didn't think about, Charles, and I think it was a good thing you brought it up. Uh, during the presentation, they show a picture of Maggie, and he uh, that's the only personal picture that he bothers to comment on for the audience. He says that's right. Maggie O'Connell, a bush pilot, which sort of expresses to the audience that, oh, he knows this person, he knows this woman, Maybe there's something else here. She and gets a little more Linda attention. Linda is in the audience. Yeah. And so, and so oh. the thing that Charles said was mm -hmm. maybe Linda realized that there was something between Joel and Maggie. Yeah. Whether, whether it was really there or not, she doesn't know, but she could perceive that just because Joel knew a lot about the person in the picture that was accidentally showed to the whole audience. Yeah. That's conference. that picture of Maggie is given more attention than the other pictures. Uh, so yeah, right. if you were Linda in the crowd, you could piece that together perhaps. Um, and I do like yeah. that, Charles, that you know, Linda's kind of figured it out, uh, even though Joel maybe hasn't recognized it yet. And uh, But doesn't, doesn't Joel say something about it though? I mean, say at least that there's someone else? Or does Linda say that? What, I don't no, remember. he does. I think it's in, I don't think it's in the scene with the bellboy, but it's in the scene when Joel is like burning matches. He says there's someone else or something. Or uh, maybe it is in the okay. bellboy scene. I can't remember because there's all these different, like one time it's insulin. The other time she like, she says, oh, I get it. You have erectile dysfunction, you know, in, in, <laughs> mm. in certain terms, I guess. But um, so there is, I do recall at some point in this episode where Joel says there's someone else, right? Even if it's a, even if he's right. just making up an yeah. excuse, he might actually mean it subconsciously. Right. That's, and that was the point I was getting at was he might actually mean that subconsciously that there is someone else and that... He does have feelings for Maggie, even though he may not admit it to himself. Yeah. Do you think if Linda hadn't been so forward with Joel, Joel would have actually slept with her? Like, do you think it's something with her approach that is ruining Joel to wanting to go be with her? Or do you think it's within Joel that doesn't want to go with her? So take it another way. If Joel was approaching other women in the convention and Linda didn't exist at all, do you think he actually would have carried through? That's a great question because what we're dancing around right now is the idea that Joel doesn't realize it yet, but he really wants to just be with Maggie because that's what kind of culminates in that scene in the hotel room together, even though Maggie does fall asleep. I don't know. Do you think, I think Joel, I believe it's hard to say, maybe Joel would try to hit on other doctors at the conference and, and go back to a room, you know, together. But my opinion is I don't think he would actually go through with it. Kind of the way that Maggie admits that her and the doctor, what Paul Brennan, they just go dancing. They didn't really hook up. Uh, but what do you guys think? Do you, do you think the same or do you I, think? I think the same, but I think that Joel's potential is sabotaged by the situation <laughs> he's put in when they get to the hotel. You know, he's forced to share a room with Maggie. So already the possibility exists mm, yes. that they could be together because they're two single people that are forced to share a hotel suite in an unknown city. They do know each other. They have expressed romantic feelings for each other before, physical romantic feelings for each other before. Uh, 
So despite Joel being at the conference for uh, the purpose of, you know, finding a woman to, to sleep with, he has that already in his hotel room, even though it's mm. not guaranteed, but the possibility exists. So I think he's going into the conference with this sabotaged motive, you know, and I think that's one of the contributing factors of why he wouldn't go through with it, even if he was almost successful. Yeah, so endeavor. I think another way to say it too is, is that from the beginning of him landing in Juno, uh, that was that there was that possibility, and that's kind mm-hmm. of what is working on some subconscious level with Joel. And but Charles, uh, what's your answer to your question? Uh, I like both of y'all's answer, but I want to take my answer to a different area um, that I might not even personally agree with, but I just wanted to see on this analysis. Okay. It's a possibility that Joel really likes being in control, quote unquote. Like he wants to be the one to ask someone out or to do most of the, um, I guess like aggressive part of dating. Um, So whenever uh, Linda goes and tries to ask him out and tries to suggest that they go upstairs, he's put off by that because she's the one suggesting it to him. I think that maybe subconsciously he wants to be the one to do it, so had he actually been the one to go forward and go, um, you know, flirt and ask out all the other women, he might have gone through with it because he would be in control of the conversation if he was the one approaching. Yeah. And I think that even ties into something, the thing that Jay picked up on, which is, you know, Maggie is the one to suggest something uh, like Maggie, I think, asks Joel if he would like to get dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's like, really, you want to have dinner together? You know, he's not in control or he's not the one broaching the uh the date, you know, he's not asking her out on the date. She's asking him. So maybe that's why he goes into that analytical mode. I, I don't know, but... Maybe. But I mean, that's not the first time that that dynamic has happened between them. And, and I think it's repeated through the whole show. And I guess the overarching theme of the show, Joel is thrust into Alaska and he's he's out of control of his life to begin with. So maybe the few things that he thinks he can control, he wants to still be the alpha male in the relationship and the guy that does the approach and... There we go, from downtown. <laughs> Jay with the over-analysis, knowing it straight through the hoop. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, I think we, yeah, I'm glad we kind of like took a pause here and, and made sure, because these are all, it's fun to kind of jump into, you know, what's not on the page, what's not on the screen. Like, what do you actually think is happening in these characters' mm-hmm. minds? Because I really do believe that the writers for the show are considering, you know, these characters as real people and like, what would they do? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Jumping back in. Yeah. Let's jump back in again. So, um, we are on the scene exterior of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pause. Okay. Oh, cool. I was going to pause right there too. So I think this is, um, I think this scene kind of helps define the episode of, uh, I mean, it's the demo, denouma of the, of the Maggie Joel plotline. Uh, he mentioned at the beginning that the plane ride was three hours. So, Presumably they had three hours on the plane back from Juno and then the truck ride back to town to talk about that, but they didn't talk about it until the very end. <laughs> I so you know, real fast, I just wanted to say like that happens so much in, in film and TV, but that's kind of the one of the cheats, like the movie magic uh, element yeah. of, of of the medium, just because you can have a conversation in one location and then finish your sentence in the next location. It's like, wait, so did they just not talk the whole way? Like, mm-hmm. But I mean, we could also, 
I don't know. Yeah, we could. Maybe they just made awkward small talk for three or four hours or whatever. Because, yeah, the, the, the beginning of the scene is Maggie. She's like, we're back, Sicily. It's wonderful. Like, she can't stop talking, but she's not really talking about last night. So, so maybe they did have, like, weird, weird small talk the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so keep going, Jay. What were you saying? So the, the scene is Maggie and Joel return to town in the truck, and Maggie, well, Joel goes to tell Maggie that their sexual encounter didn't happen, that she fell asleep. Uh, at least I think that's what he's going to say. Well, she cuts him off and says, no, let's, let's just, she goes on this rant about how she'd be so embarrassed if anybody in town found, found out because now they're, uh, in quote, among people who count, end quote. So <laughs> if, yeah. if I was being told that, I'd be pretty insulted if I was Joel. Right. But she goes on this long rant about that and then asks Joel, let's just pretend it didn't happen and don't tell anybody we slept, uh, uh, that we slept together. And Joel agrees. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if he if he's planning on blackmailing her in the future or, or what with that. But uh, he said, let's, we'll pretend nothing ever happened. It'll be like we just fell asleep, which coincidentally, that's exactly what happened. But Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a strong moral question here. Should Joel have told Maggie that they didn't sleep together? Yeah. Huh. And it's almost, it's almost as if, I'm, this is what I think is going on in Joel's head. Is he? I agree. I think he was just about to say, "Look, uh, O'Connell, let me. I got to tell you something about last night." Then she cuts him off. But I think he was going to, you know, tell her the truth that, like, you know, I don't want it to be weird. You don't have to be worried that anything strange happened between us. You fell asleep. I think that's what he wanted to tell her. Now that she's gone on and told him all this stuff. He does say, you know, like, yeah, we could just pretend like we fell asleep or something. And, and Maggie says, well, not that, but, but you know, just, just like, let's not mention this. So I think in Joel's mind, he's like, well, you know, I tried. I didn't get there, but it's sort of the same conclusion, right? That's maybe what Joel is yeah. thinking. But still, I think in the end, I think you have a point, Jay. It's like, should he have just corrected it and been like, well, the actual, the actual real truth that happened was this. Uh, Charles, what do you think? Uh, I think that's really interesting question, Jay. I, I think possibly in a weird way, Joel feels that he's in the right because he doesn't want to rock the boat. So Maggie has a problem uh, initially. Like she doesn't have the truth and Joel is about to correct her. But then she kind of like warps her way around and kind of comes to a resolution that satisfies both parties. So maybe in Joel's mind, he's thinking like, why should I have to ruin this um yeah, this message could, that she got at the end, like yeah. I don't, I don't have to do anything. I can just let it be, and I, as long as I don't say anything and I don't She'll do be any, happy. yeah, yeah, I don't do any sleazy blackmailing. We presume that Joel is a good person. Then the conclusion that she came to is ultimately, I, I, I guess, like positive in her light. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to say about this scene, the the part that caught me was. And I have, I have some thoughts about it, but what do you guys think? Why did Maggie uh, want to keep this a secret? It seemed like just before she fell asleep, they were really happy and to be together. Maybe it was just delirium, but why do you think Maggie is ashamed of it? Well, she has this dynamic in the public face of Sicily that she and Fleischman are always at odds with each other. And I don't know, maybe she's worried it'll hurt her reputation as a landlord or as a pilot if she dates the doctor. Maybe because she thinks that the rest of Sicily doesn't think Joel is manly enough, or, or I don't know. I, I don't know exactly why. 
I'm yeah. just throwing ideas out there. No, no, no. I like that. I, I want to build off of what Jay said. I think that not just these characters, but I also think this in real life. Like we all have roles to play. And it particularly comes true whenever you're in a place where you grew up, like a hometown sort of situation or like a high school situation where you all have like this idea of each other and you want to conform to those ideas of each other. So in Maggie and Joel's hometown, they're like, okay, well, I'm like the uppity doctor that doesn't like to take risks. And I'm the bush pilot that wants to push things forward into like the next territory. So you already have their established identities right here. And I'm not saying whether you should be doing that or not. That's not the statement that I'm trying to say, but mostly like that's where their headspace is right now. Yeah. So whenever you go to a new location, you kind of have the chance to put on a costume and try out a new self to bring up a new identity. I, I find it really funny because in college, I find this to be a phenomenon that happens a lot. A lot of people kind of like start going by different names. Like maybe they'll shorten <laughs> their name. Uh, yeah. They'll start wearing like graphic t-shirts. Um, <laughs> they'll start like putting on accessories because those are easily identifiable things. So instead of being like Robert from uh, Springfield, Illinois, and he was always an uppity person that was very tight and orderly. Now he can be Bobby in college and he wears a graphic t-shirt. We can easily identify him as this new person and he really likes X and Y or whatever. Uh, and it's a whole new thing because no one knows who he originally was. So these accessories... He gets to reinvent himself. Exactly. Uh, with these, these new accessories or shirts and clothing and um, the personality traits. So... Maybe that's exactly what happened here when they went to Juno. They could reinvent themselves, put on a costume, and be Maggie 2.0? I guess not a, it's not a better version of Maggie. It's just a Like Maggie and Joel, Maggie. the couple that only exist outside yes. of Sicily. Yeah. Exactly. And I think their returning to Sicily is not only in the characters' minds, like a return to normal, uh, it's also in the in the show's, you know, the show Bible, it's like the status quo has to go back to returning mm -hmm. to normal. Uh, but I also wanted to bring up too, I, I guess this is more of what happens in the, in the scene with Joel and Maggie, the morning after uh, Maggie falls asleep is um, Joel sort of plays a, in a way like a cruel trick of hiding the information. So Maggie doesn't remember what happened the night before. And Joel, mm -hmm. Joel picks up on this pretty quickly. And so he uses very uncertain uh, descriptions and he's kind of like very vague about it. He's like, yeah, you remember the thing, right? When we did that, that was crazy. And, and so, you know, Maggie, she doesn't know what happens, but she wants to be her description of before Joel gives his description, Maggie's description she gives is very positive. She's like, you were great. You know, even though she's making it up, this is what Maggie wants to believe. And then when Joel comes back, he, you know, he's not, overly like positive or supportive about Maggie. He uses words like that was interesting. And he says, well, you know, you could have, you could have moved a little more. And it's, it's a joke to him because, you know, she actually was asleep. Like that's a joke for us, but you know, it's very different than the way Maggie describes the night, even though she is just making it up. So I think that in that moment, Maggie feels, feels ashamed. And that's kind of what ultimately leads to her, part of why she tells Joel later when they get to Sicily that they just shouldn't talk about it. Hmm. I got a couple things to add. <clears throat> Going back to the whole, would Joel ever use this over Maggie in the future whenever, yeah. whenever he agrees to just forget about the whole situation when Maggie proposes that when they're back in town. 
uh, and Charles said that we would have to assume that Joel is good and he wouldn't do that, but I don't think that's the case. I think that he might not tell anybody else, but I wouldn't put it past Joel to use that specifically with Maggie in the future to just kind of hold it over her head and threaten to reveal that information. Just to, between the two of them, I see. Yeah. yeah. Whether he's mm. he's doing it seriously to try to gain something uh, and it would be truly blackmail or if he's just picking on her, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Joel to at least use it to, to, to pick on her. I think I like that it's not the truth actually wasn't revealed in this episode because we do get to return to the status quo, but it does feel like there's some open ends. A little more than if they had just you know, explained everything in this episode. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. that there's some sort of continuation, like something that calls back to this this night in a, in a future episode or season. Something else I was thinking of, uh, Maggie mentions in the scene at the truck, they're back in town, Maggie mentions that she's had those thoughts before about right. uh, her and Joel. Do you think that when she fell asleep in Juno that she had a dream? Do you think she was dreaming about a sexual encounter with Joel? Mm. Oh, yeah, that's very possible. And maybe she was just reconstructing the way she felt about it the next morning from the dream? Yeah, I think, well, I, that's that's interesting. So when Maggie is reconstructing, like when she is sort of imagining what would have happened the night before, do you think she is lying? Like she's making up something that uh, she she's just trying to cover, like as if she remembers it, even though she doesn't? Or do you think she is... Uh, She's trying to remember, she thinks the dream might have been what had happened and it's kind of kind of foggy. I don't know, Charles, what do you think? Uh, that's a really interesting question, Jay. Like maybe she can't discern like uh, dreams and reality because she's in a foreign place right there. So already things are looking really hazy for her. She's also suffering from sleep deprivation. So that's another factor to go into. So maybe she's hallucinating all of this. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually a strong possibility. Like, I don't think we can just write that off to be just like whatever. Like, I, th I think that can be a theory. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree as well. Like, I think it's somewhere in the middle where Maggie does have like some memory of what happened the night before. Even if it was like a dream, it was vague and foggy and hard to interpret. But uh, she has some sort of idea of what happened, even if it was just her fantasy. Something else I want to bring up. Um, I think we need to fit their return to Sicily in the context of Bernard's earlier uh, journey. Homecoming. Uh, yeah. Subplot, yeah. Yeah, so he, he talks about people leaving somewhere to go on a journey, and the purpose is for the journey to, to how did he put it, forget who you were and then come back and find out how you've changed, which yeah. might have been the point of the journey in the first place. Well, have Joel and Maggie changed? Is something changed between them? And then when they come home, does that stick? Well, I don't think it sticks because they go back to status quo, at least for the show, in their right. relationship. They go back to status quo. But I think something definitely has changed and that they've finally more admitted to each other that they've had more than just a physical interest in each other, which they've had in the past. But this time they've, I don't know, it seems like Maggie, well, Maggie does admit her feelings to Joel or that she's had those thoughts to Joel about Joel. But I don't, I don't know if Joel reciprocates that emotion, but... I, it's definitely a step in their relationship. Yeah. I, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly. It's, I feel like it kind of, you know, what happened in spring break was huge. And then it sort of gets rewritten. Like they, they're like, we should forget about this. And then what happens in this episode is also, I think, very markedly, like very, very big in their relationship. 
And it's, it does leave the door slightly ajar, I think. But it's hard to say, it's hard to say it's not just going to get closed again. I, I don't know. We, I think we need to see, well, I guess we still have a few more minutes, but I, I think it's going to, it's going to have to develop hopefully in the next few episodes and, and not, not just kind of peter out like in season two. Yeah, I like what Jay had to say about that, how there's a connectedness between the two plot lines, between Bernard and Chris and Maggie and Joel. And there's a journey that ties them all together right there. But what's even more interesting is that Bernard and Chris are two halves of each other. So they need to get back into sync with each other with this journey, um, quote unquote, of what they're experiencing. For Maggie and Joel, perhaps you can make an argument that they're like also two halves. Like one is much more rigid and the other one is much more flowing. A yin-yang. Exactly. They would go and form one whole being, like quotation marks. So they need this journey of going to someplace else and coming back to experience that so that they can also form back into that um, whole being. Yeah, I like. I never thought about it that way. But yeah, it's like two pieces. There is a lot uh, on some sort of maybe even symbolic level, but there there's a lot of similarities between these two plot lines. All right, jump back in. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so this is Lee. This is my last pause, and it's the end of the episode, so I think uh, we can kind of just wrap up and, and talk about what we just saw, everything that came before it. Uh, so what just happened, Chris was giving sort of his closing monologue, reading from the like the basically the closing of the tempest shakespeare's uh the tempest oh, and, is that what that was mm -hmm. and okay. uh to me i think now after having this discussion with jay you and you charles this really at least for me works in my head as kind of bringing together the ideas of obviously chris and bernard have have this uh, sort of dream connection and i think it also taps into you know, even if it's just in my head, what we were saying about Maggie and her, her fantasy, like what happened when she was asleep, you know, even if that's not explicitly stated in the episode, I think this scene maybe makes you think about that, you know, like what happened, it was because Maggie fell asleep, you know, that this episode resulted in the way it did, but also maybe, maybe it makes you ask yourself, you know, what happened in Maggie's dream. Mm, yeah, that was a really nice way to tie it all together um, between the dreams that Maggie's experiencing and maybe she just embrace what happened in her dream. So it, like she should actually just go for Joel. Yeah. You know, I think this is quite an open end for an episode because we see, we do see like as Chris is giving his monologue, Maggie is like walking up the hill with some groceries. We talked about this in the last pause, but for some reason, I feel like a lot has been unresolved with Joel and Maggie, I guess in a similar way as spring break, but in spring break, they, their, their conclusion for each other was Maggie was like, I have Rick, you can find yourself a woman. That's all you got to do. And we'll be fine. This episode, the, the conclusion between the two is more like, let's never talk about it. But for some reason, I feel like they're going to talk about it. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think they have to. Um, their relationship dynamic has completely changed, even though they technically didn't sleep together. But one of them thinks they did, and the other one can go along with that, at least until he spoils with, with the truth. That changes the dynamic of their relationship. Maggie wants to forget about it, but now I don't think he can. Oh, that's a really interesting thing that you just brought up. Do you think that their relationship is doomed to fail if it actually did emerge? Because the foundation of it is built on a lie. That's a good point. 
I don't know. So if Joel, wait, if Joel were to tell the truth that Maggie did fall asleep, then what would be the result? So let's presume that in the future, they actually do get into a relationship with each other and everything's going great and yada yada. But then maybe like a year down the road, Joel admits to Maggie because Maggie's probably like inquiring about like what their first um, sexual encounter was. And she'd be like, it was that time we were in Juno. And Joel was like, I got to come forward, O'Connell. You were actually asleep and you just dreamt all that. And then Maggie would just freak out and be like, holy crap, this whole thing's built on a lie. We're done. Like, do you think that's a possibility? Uh, maybe there is a, there's an episode like that. Maybe. Yeah. It could also be, I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think about what would make a good episode. What would the characters, if they were real people, what would they do? You know, is it something that Maggie would laugh about or. I think there's, I think there's definitely relationship breaking potential in revealing that <laughs> truth. If Joel waits long enough. Yeah. If you were Depending to say on, on you know, where they're at in their relationship. I, I agree with Charles that, yeah, that's something that would definitely, that Maggie would definitely get upset about. But what if he told her the truth before they were in a relationship? Then I think that it might, I don't know, it might be, I, I, that one's harder to predict. It might work out in Joel's favor. I mean, maybe not immediately. Yeah. I think Maggie would still have the same reaction. Uh, and But instead of a breakup resulting, it would result in her not being interested in Joel. Well, maybe for a little while. Uh, and that's just something that we, we can't predict. I guess an important part of that equation too is uh, the idea that this, you know, if we're assuming that O'Connell had a fantasy, like had a dream of them sleeping together. Uh, and if Joel tells, tells her that, no, it was actually, that was a dream because you were asleep that I see now. Yeah. That could shatter maybe this, the foundation of what Maggie sees in Joel or, or her feelings for him though. I don't know. I feel like they've been sharing this flirtatious, these feelings together since the first season. So it's hard to say. Yeah, it's been three seasons of, uh, of it. Oh, something we should look out for, Charles, in the next episode. Let's make sure and see if uh, if Chris is actually still wearing the talisman in the later. Oh yeah, episodes. Because I was like, would this does this episode establish that Chris needs to be wearing this talisman at all times to have his voice? Or no? <laughs> you know, one thing that I noticed in this episode is uh, it's one of the few episodes that does not have a dog in it. Whoa, there's no dogs? <laughs> yeah, doggo Pretty watch sure? fails right now. Uh, the doggo oh, test, like the Bechtel test. Uh, yeah, I thought there would be like a dog running <laughs> at the ending shot of Maggie uh, running with the groceries um, <laughs> yeah. and the car with Bernard you know, driving out. I thought there would be like a dog going through it, but no, no dog at all. It's a shame. There's one more. Uh, I want to just bring up the the funny continuity thing that I noticed Um and the scene where Maggie returns to the hotel room to find Joel alone, open a bottle of champagne. Uh, it's not really, I mean, I guess it is technically a continuity error. You know, Joel fills up a glass of champagne for Maggie, hands it to her. And then in the very next shot, it cuts to Maggie sitting down and the glass is, you know, it's drained. There's barely any champagne empty. left yeah. in it. So do we assume that... And she even says that she kind of returned to the room because she felt that she had to, that she felt that she wanted to be with him. At least I think she says that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I kind of imagine in my mind to explain the continuity goof that she needed to drink a whole bunch to get some courage because she kind of knew what she wanted to do but wasn't confident enough to do it. So maybe yeah. she just downed a whole bunch of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a bit of a... Courage. <laughs> It's a bit of a little like a continuity goof, but it kind of makes sense. Like you can justify why that would happen. Yeah. 
I've actually always been curious because I know that the food on set and the drinks on set, they're like prop food and um, water and such. But whenever there are different colored liquids like champagne or beer or whatever, what actually is that? Is that just water with food coloring? For like beer or liquor is usually tea, like a black tea, and you can just dilute it to whatever color you want. Um, Maybe like a ginger ale or ginger beer for beer because you need a little bit of carbonation there. Uh, and yeah, I think that kind of covers it. So yeah, it's typically not an alcoholic beverage. You could say like sparkling apple juice for uh, champagne, I guess. Okay. So we actually just decided to watch the deleted scenes for this episode. Uh, so yeah, where do we begin? What there, there's a lot in here that I think as we were watching it, we were saying, yeah, I could see, see why this was cut, but, uh, yeah. What did we see? The first big one that comes to my mind was Joel at the uh, at the conference when he's at the the mixer in the very beginning yeah. of the conference. He uh, he he makes an excuse to leave. Well, actually, he's kind of honest with the guy that he's talking to, saying, "Hey, I'm trying to get laid here." And he uh, <laughs> pushes past him, and he he bumps into this lady, uh, and they start talking about um, the well, really the reason why he's there, the presentation. Uh, and about how it's a problem in the town that she lives in with uh, the inner ear infections for children. Mm-hmm. And he asks her out. He says, hey, let's discuss it over dinner. And she agrees. And then the next thing you know, a, a guy pops up and uh, she makes reference to we, as in her and this guy. And, and it's revealed that they're married, they're together, and that Joel would be joining them for dinner. So we can see how Joel <laughs> dug a hole and now he's he's disappointed. So he makes some excuse to to go do something else. And yeah. I don't know if he goes and catches up with them or not, but that probably leads to a pretty crummy evening. Yeah, unfortunately, there is no deleted scene of, of Joel having dinner with this uh, married couple. So maybe he maybe he just like never showed up or it just, you know, we never saw it. Yeah, I think that actually confirms the theory though where he would still go out and go ask other people and, uh, you know, try to push it further right there. Though, uh, one thing I did notice, though, is that he asked her out for dinner. And maybe that's the thing he's actually scared of. He's just like um, jumping headfirst into the sack is probably not his style. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's the thing. That's a good point, Charles. He's not really into. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, what else? We get a scene, we get like an extension of, um, when Chris leaves Bernard's slideshow presentation, Mm -hmm. he talks with Holling for a bit and basically explains to Holling, it's like, yeah, you know, we're not in sync right now. Something I feel bad. Holling offers him a drink, but Chris just says, I need to get some fresh air. Um, but yeah, I I like how in the episode, it just kind of cuts on Chris leaving the presentation. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that deleted scene is just further reinforcement of the the two halves of a whole um, yeah. between Chris and Bernard, and I can see why it's not needed. It's it's nice that Holling was in the scene for the episode, but that's if had if that right. had made it into the episode, that would have been the only scene with Holling having dialogue. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so the another, the only other scene I really want to talk about, but, but we can kind of dive into others if if there's some other deleted stuff. But the big one for me was, uh, it's an extension of that sort of the, the champagne sharing between Maggie and Joel. It's right before, you know, they split up and, and Maggie and Joel shower and then she, she falls asleep. So Joel is telling Maggie how, how bad his, his presentation went at the conference. And, um, as we were watching it, we were, we were talking about it, how it, 
it doesn't really bring them together fast enough. You know, they're sitting apart right. from each other. That's something I noticed. Maggie was already yeah. at the table deep in the room, and Joel walked back toward the door to the bar separating uh, them. to refill his yeah. champagne or, or something. I don't know. And then he goes and sits in this chair that's closer to the door. They're not, they're, they're further apart in that scene. They're not sitting together at the same table. And I think that the writers and the director wanted to drive them together more quickly. So they, they cut that part. Um, yeah. It's kind of a... And um, it also, something, something else we mentioned that it explains what happens to all the champagne in Maggie's glass. <laughs> yeah, because they do have a little more time. It is a beefier scene or, or a longer scene. So it explains why her champagne should be closer to empty when he sits down. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is it is kind of chunkier as a scene. It goes on a little too long. But I really did like. Um, there's one little line that I liked in it, though. I don't think it serves the purpose of the episode, but it does serve Joel's character. He um, he's very distraught that obviously that his presentation failed. You know, he was kind of he sees it as like he was a, like a laughing stock or something, or no one wanted to pay attention. Mm-hmm. But uh, his line was that he says, you know, the worst part about it was. I had something to say. And um, to me, that shows, apart from everything else that we've seen in this episode where Joel's like, I just want to get laid. I want to have sex with strangers. Well, in that line of dialogue, we get to see that Joel really is passionate about, you know, his profession. And, you know, he, it seems like sort of a boring presentation to us, the audience, if we're not doctors, you know, but to him, it, 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 it has a purpose and he wanted to try to help, you know, even if, he does say he just wants to go out and get laid. Like he had a presentation he cared about. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I also really like that as well, that it serves more as something to bolster Joel's character rather than to serve the plot as a whole between Joel and Maggie. But there's something very touching about that line saying like, I don't care if I got embarrassed. I just want to like contribute to the field at the end yeah. of the day. Well, okay. I think that covers it for season three, episode 21. It happened in Juno. This was a really fun experiment in a different way of doing the podcast. I liked, uh, I liked watching it with you guys and sort of getting to do like the play-by-play, like in order. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, definitely. I thought that we should probably do this more. I think that this format worked that well, but I mean, who's to really tell once we get this all edited down and we all start to listen to it. Uh, also, I wanted to thank Jay. Jay, thanks for stopping by for the second time to oh, yeah, man, guest commentary. I, I enjoyed on this. it. Uh, I, I did enjoy the format. I like that. Uh, I like the camaraderie of watching the episode together. I think it was a it's a necessary thing in, in the times we're living through right now, where everybody's <laughs> apart from each other. Uh, I enjoy being able to spend some time with you guys and have a shared experience, uh, despite not being in the same room. Um, and and I liked how the analysis worked out, and we could more sequentially follow the storyline instead of. Uh, in the past, it might have felt like we were jumping around a good bit from mm-hmm. from plot line to plot line. This was more of a linear progression through the episode, which to me makes a bit more sense if you're watching the episode for the first time and then listening to us talk about it. But uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm glad uh, you guys asked me to come back and, and do another episode. I'd be happy to do more in the future. Had fun. Yeah, this was a great... I, I love this episode. And, and uh, yeah, we're definitely going to get you back. And, um, yeah, of course, thanks again, Jay. Yeah. This goes back to our days in high school watching this. And I think, you know, Charles, I think I forced you to watch the pilot at some point in high school that Jay was there too, but, uh, no, no, no you never did. I, I've never, so you've never seen, seen it. Oh, wow. No, like, wait, hang on, hang on. No, no, no. That's not completely true. Y- it wasn't the pilot that you forced me to watch. Y- hmm. 
it was I think there was like more people than just me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did we have a watch party? No, it was one of those things where we were like I think we were at your house, Jay, and we like there wasn't an explicit plan to do anything. So I think both of y'all were like. Hey, put on Northern Exposure. <laughs> that's like, when we were going through. We just wanted to watch it. Yeah. And Charles, that seems like, like something we do. So confused. And I remember the moose in the shot. And that's all I remembered from uh, Northern Exposure. Because I don't think it was the pilot. I, re- I really don't. I think you, y'all just okay. started watching like a random episode. Like everyone else was like, I, we're in for the ride, I guess. Like, <laughs> see what happens. Uh, yeah. Lee, that's why everybody was turned off with it. Because we forced them to watch random episodes. <laughs> yeah, all out of order. I mean, that's what this podcast is, though. We like <laughs> force newcomers to... Uh, no, I think people do enjoy it. But it is it is funny how some episodes can be so confusing but most of them tend to do a good job with exposition i think um all right guys well our next episode charles is going to be episode 22 in the third season it's called our wedding i think we kind of alluded to this in an earlier episode of our podcast i actually um I think I actually misspoke in an earlier episode. I said that this episode is what won Valerie Mahaffey, uh, the actress who plays Eve. I think I said that this is the episode where she won the Emmy, but it's actually one that we already did. It was Lost and Found. She won the Emmy for that episode. Um, But knowing that information, Charles, what is your prediction of what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, that's a bit of a spoiler. (laughs) So I'm going to guess, wild guess right here, that Adam and Eve get uh, married? Wait, I thought they were already married. Wait, hang on. Wait, because doesn't he say wife, right? It's yeah. My, it's his wife. He does. The first time that, that we meet Eve, it's his wife. Interesting. I mean, they are, uh, they do have a, a child now. And yeah, he does say it's his wife. So what could that mean? Our wedding. Hmm, I don't think it's Shelly and Holly. We already went through that in season one. I don't think they would revisit that plot hole. Um, going back to the well. So I, maybe gay marriage becomes legalized. In, in Sicily, Sicily, Alaska, like Justin Ron and Eric, and Ron and Eric get married. Maybe that's, yeah. that's what happens. I think these are all good guesses. You have to watch the episode to find out. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thanks again, Jay and Charles. See you next week. Yeah. See you next week, Leek. And thanks again to Jay. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by Lee. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Jay for being our special guest. If you'd like to write into the podcast, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, thank you for listening.